It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Okay, what up, what up? Back in studio. It's mic'd up on OWN. <laughs> uh, on Periscope. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mika Gadsden. This is non. This is your nonprofit radio station. This is on radio, and I'm excited because I have a very special guest here in the studio with me. I'm gonna have him introduce himself real quick. Hi, I'm Adam Dombey. Oh, Adam, you sound so great. Okay, we just did a quick mic check. You sound awesome. So. Great. <laughs> All right, so um, I'm, let me just say this. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have a lot of fans. I'm a fan. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, you might be the only one. No, uh, I encountered your work, I think, back in 2017. Um, I was at the main branch of the of the Charleston Library, um, and you were giving a lecture on Confederate monuments. Mm-hmm. This is, and I never, I, I was somewhat familiar with um, with historians and people from College of Charleston, but I never heard from you. And I, I'm not going to jump into this your story mid story, but that's how I encountered mm-hmm. you. Um, but let me back up a little bit, Adam. Introduce the folks like who you are, what you do. I'm an assistant professor of history at the College of Charleston, as well as the um, associate director of the Perlstein Lipoff Center for Southern Jewish Culture at the College of Charleston. And uh, I am a Civil War and Reconstruction historian, and I have a book that uh, is releasing on Tuesday officially. But if you officially uh, if but if you order it, you can already order it online, and it'll come via uh, you know Amazon or whatever. Um, yeah. The uh, you can get it on your favorite book vendor already. Um, so I'm, I'm excited, okay, because so, you're, you're, the subject matter you're tackling, I'm an activist. You know that maybe um, I know you're very busy doing your thing on, on the campus. Um, but the subject matter is something that um, even when I didn't have the word power as a young person, it always struck me that we weren't telling our whole history here. Mm-hmm. So can I ask you, uh, I know I met you or became familiar with your work in 2017. When did you actually get to Charleston and start teaching at the CFC? So I've been in Charleston since uh, 2015. I came here uh, in 2015. I started and been here ever since. Okay. And uh, I've been very fortunate to get to be uh, a Civil War historian in a city that has so much Civil War history. So much. And Revolutionary War, which no one talks about, but... Yeah. So, so 2015, uh, where were you prior to being here? Prior to that, I was uh, in graduate school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Okay. And I received my Ph.D. there from in 2015 as well, so, as well as my master's. Should I call you doctor? No. You don't have to. <laughs> uh, my students have to call me doctor or professor. You do not. You can call me Adam. Okay. Okay, um, cool. No, yeah, because I, I, I wanted to make sure I went to your website this week. I want to make sure I respect you when I no no you you, you can <laughs> when you're my student you can call me Doctor Adam when you're when you're not you can call me Adam okay I, you know. I, I got you okay so 2015 got here yeah, yeah this city um, to me again I I always was would see these people um, you know mon- uh, memorialized with these great monuments Calhoun is is the source of so much ire for me um, and I just again I didn't have the word power growing up. Um, partially here and then even working here. But what I found with your work, so at the, at the library in 2017, I, I saw a side of you that I didn't see commonly from other educators from CFC, and it, it really energized me and it encouraged me that people were just as... Um, uh, just as invested in telling the whole history here, and so basically um, to frame it for folks, we're in the, the like the main meeting rooms or spa- event space at the library at the main branch on Calhoun Street, and in the front row, the sons or son, not the sons of the Confederacy, South Carolina Secession Party. There you go. Um, yeah, was 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 decided to show up. Um, yeah. Did you expect that? Um, I had I, when I walked in, I saw them and I mm-hmm. knew who they were. Yeah. Um, and I had I had. So I, I was not surprised to see them. Um, I knew that eventually they would probably show up at a talk of mine. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. So. Yeah. And um, I said, like, I saw a side because not even knowing your disposition, I just seemed that not that you were bothered, but you had so much, like, um, uh, I love that your use of newspapers yeah. to really, like, debunk anything. And let me ask you this. So when you're in a setting like that, what do you feel like you have to do? What are you it's, it's, it's a really good question. So, I mean, as a historian, fundamentally what we do is tell stories. And we tell stories using primary sources, which are sources from the time, oral histories. Depends on sort of what you're trying to write about. Mm-hmm. 
And what I found is when dealing with topics where there is a lot of mythology mm. and false narratives that have been propagated for over 100 years, mm -hmm. the only way, nobody's going to listen to me saying, I'm, I'm Adam Dombe. Mm -hmm. I'm Dr. Dombe. Listen to me. I'm, I'm super smart. Mm -hmm. right? like, nobody buys it. Mm -hmm. But if you can give them mm -hmm. the actual primary sources and say, this is what they said. Right. Right. You don't take it from me right. that Confederates seceded right. because of slavery. Take it from the secessionists themselves who said, here's why we're seceding, and right. then proceeded to say, slavery, 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 slavery. Right, the Articles of Secession, in which yeah. you, um, I was familiar with South Carolina's, but you had that. I think you used somebody, someone Probably else. Probably used Mississippi's. Yeah. Mississippi's is the, sort of the easiest because it's short and it's to the point, and <laughs> they even, um, they basically say in their first line, we are, our, our cause is associated with slavery, mm -hmm. and... Lest, we th lest you think we're overstating the threat to slavery, let us list all the reasons slavery is threatened. And then they list all the reasons <laughs> slavery is threatened. And then they say, and that's why we're seceding. Right. So, I mean, you don't have to take my word for it that the Civil War has a lot to do with slavery. Mm -hmm. You can take the word of Confederates. Now, of course, they rewrote that past after the fact. Right. And, and that's sort of the topic of my first chapter of the book. Um, the false cause. And yeah, and I, and I want to jump into that. Is this your first book? This is my first book. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I was under the impression that you authored something else. Um, I have authored other things. I have uh, articles and chapters yeah. and uh, my dissertations on a totally different topic, which is not a publication technically, but right. um, it's floating around out there. And I kind of stepped on you a little bit. Let's let, let me read the name of the book yeah. completely again. The uh, the false cause fraud fabrication and white supremacy in Confederate memory. Mm -hmm. And I love that because also. Um, not too recent, but not too distant. I was at a protest, and I was being a little bit of an agitator when it came to. Um, there was a, uh, an element there. It was at the Calhoun statue. Mm -hmm. um, I was there to. I was there primarily to support the young lady, uh, Callie Holloway. Um, just support what that was, and also I was there to just to kind of suss out the situation. I and think I, I was there as well. Yo, you were. You mm -hmm. over in the corner because mm -hmm. that's why I'm bringing up the story. Yeah. And um, I know you, but I was just want to make sure people were safe. Um, because I saw this element just kind of creeping out and yeah. creeping from the periphery. And I remember I yelled at something, you retweeted, I yelled like, you know, you don't have, you don't have a, um, a monopoly on historic memory. And when I see memory in the title of, of your new book, tell me what that means. Like, how should yeah, I turn it? It's a really good question. Yeah. And I think this is sort of a fundamental, when people think history, they think it's the past. But mm -hmm. history is uh, a reasonable reconstruction of the past based on primary sources and facts. And we, we reconstruct what happened as historians. Mm -hmm. Memory is how everyday people understand the past. Mm -hmm. And it's not always the same, okay. right? And right. that's the sort of fundamental thing that I'm interested in is why do we remember the past in a way that's historically inaccurate? Mm -hmm. And we do frequently. I mean, mm -hmm. th there's lots of places you can point to there. And so this book is really about not just about selective memory, which is what a lot of scholars write about. They write about sort of what we forget, what we remember. Mm -hmm. And that's how they sort of find their, their sort of niche, if right. you will, right. of what's been forgotten. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm less interested in that as I'm interested in what was created. Right. Um, memories that were literally faked, right. that were created to cover over what was forgotten. And that's what I like about the, you know, the, the book. Um, what do you call that? The Not the um, title, but the subtitle? The subtitle, yeah. So, like, I, I love that you put in fabrication, fraud. <laughs> so, so, so people understand that this was not always, this wasn't just, oh, it, something that got passed down the line anecdotally and just changed and morphed into mythology. No, these were concerted efforts by right. certain people. And why, what drove that, do you think? Oh, so this is, there's, yeah, there's a concerted effort in the beginning immediately after the Civil War and, and really accelerating, I would say, in the 1890s into the early 1900s to sort of rewrite the past of the Civil War. And the book is about, not only about how they did that, but why they did it. And the answer is heavily involves race politics, mm -hmm. white supremacy. Um, they wanted to justify Jim Crow. And one way you justify Jim Crow is by pretending that African Americans were happy during slavery and that Reconstruction messed up race relations. Right. It wasn't the violence of the Klan that messed up race relations. Right. It wasn't the violence of slavery that messed up race relations. It was allowing African Americans to have votes is the argument that's made by these Confederates. Now, let me be clear. I'm not making that argument. Right. Um, Thank you for clarifying. Just, just to be clear, I have to constantly say that, <laughs> um, lest anyone who's tuning in right now think um, that I am advocating this narrative. I am not. Um, I'm analyzing this narrative. And this narrative, but it does... What it did was it provided a historical justification 
mm-hmm. for disenfranchisement right. and and for violence. Often it's used to justify violence as well. And there's a concerted effort by organizations like the United Confederate Veterans, the United Daughters of Confederacy, the Sons of Confederate Veterans in the early 20th century to really control the narrative. They actually tried to ban, for instance, in Kentucky, the putting on of plays about slavery that exacerbate race relations. Wow. They, they try to ban, they try, you know, First Amendment, never be damned. We're going to, you know, be, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and just ignore it. Right, um, right. And, and and so it was, I think that's the thing, people think that it was um, less malicious, but it really was. Not just um, plays and whatnot, but even uh, in educational resources, so like yeah. textbooks, right? Textbooks were heavily controlled and, and, and have long been a battle. And we see this today still. You know, we see battles over textbooks. The New York Times did an article recently mm-hmm. looking at different, I think it was the New York Times, it might have been the Washington Post, looked at uh, the difference between various textbooks based on state. Right. Right. And textbooks for high schoolers especially aren't written by history professors. Mm. The standards are written by whoever's elected to public office mm. in the school board. Right. And so for years in Texas, for instance, it was the Texas school board was run by someone who I think was a dentist. Right. And so they were helping to determine what was in the history wow. curriculum. And I, I, I trust a dentist with my teeth, right. but I trust a historian with my history. Right. You know, I'm a doctor. You wouldn't let me pull your teeth, would you? No, um, not that kind of doctor. Right, right. wrong type. So, <laughs> so we we really the, the book is really looking at sort of how all the different ways in which lies were used to try to justify white supremacy, and mm-hmm. and how they continue to do that today. Right, right. So for, let me just ask a person. I know as a historian, you have to or you should. Uh, Stick to the facts, um, you know, make statements. But do you, do you personally ever uh, speak your mind in turn? Like, I, I assume that this is something that morally that you also like yeah. in line with. No, I mean, I do. I do have a, a there is a moral obligation. And I think, you know, historians, we we have an attempt to be objective. Of mm-hmm. course, we don't want. But mm-hmm. I, I wrote the book because I thought it mattered. Right. So inherently, I no one can be completely um, objective. I wrote it because I thought this was an issue that mattered. I wrote. I decided to write this book um, really in 2016 right. is when I, I sort of had pieces of it that I was already thinking about writing. And I decided in 2016 there was a place for a book on lies and white supremacy, mm-hmm. that these were topics that were important today. Right. So, yeah, th- I do have um, – it, it, is, it is tied in some ways to current politics. I would never have written this book without – current politics and I bring it to the present and I do feel that it's important we understand how these narratives function not only because it's just interesting but because it has upheld white supremacy and racism for over a century Mm -hmm. and I see white supremacy and I see racism as pernicious I see it as a negative I see it as a bad thing and I I like to think of myself as much as I can be an anti-racist you know as as Ibram Kendi would would say um, and Mm -hmm. and and not just be someone who denies racism. I'm not an activist in the right. same sense that some of my mm-hmm. friends and, and friends are. I have right. good friends who are activists, and activists use my research frequently, and yeah. I don't begrudge them that research. I, I willingly share it with them, and I'm happy to share it with them. We all have a role to play, right, right? right. In, in making the world a better place, and my hope is that through education I can do my part. But you mentioned activism and education, and so in the introduction of the book, um, you start at UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah. And I know from just inter- engaging with your content on Twitter, uh, Silent Sam was a protest that you were, I, I don't know, uh, you can l- l- characterize how you, you engaged with the Silent Sam yeah. protest. So Silent Sam is the Confederate... So? what is it? Silent <laughs> Sam was a Confederate monument right. in uh, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill that was put up in 1913, and this is where it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. It was put up by the college, although now people are claiming that the United Daughters of the Confederacy put it up so that they have a claim to it. So there's a whole lawsuit ongoing right now wow. um, that is makes it that where historical documents matter. Nice. And so actually, uh, Celia Moore did some really great research and has testified and, and submitted an affidavit on this. So historians are actually testifying in this case. Mm-hmm. So history does matter. But my role in this comes... Really incidentally, I sort of stumbled on this accidentally, and then activists ran with it. They were the ones that realized what we had. I didn't fully understand. And I'll be honest, I don't think I fully understood the emotional impact, the negative impact that the monument had on students and faculty of color. Um, 
I'm a white guy. Right. Um, I'm pretty pasty, um, <laughs> and and so to me, as 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 my as a as a good friend of mine put it, the monument offends his principles, but it doesn't offend his personhood, mm. right? And mm. that's me too, right? Okay. It, it it can be offensive okay. to me. My so I didn't feel it right. emotively the same way that I would have that you might have, yeah, right? right? And that that my friends that grad students and undergraduates of color who had to walk by it every day and saw it as a, as a sign of white supremacy still. So it's a very different emotive experience. So I didn't fully understand that. And, and I want to be clear that I didn't understand that. But I wanted to know more about this monument. And I found, and this is where I sort of stumbled into this whole thing, is that I found the dedication speech. And the dedication speech oh, wow. is okay. by Julian Carr. Um, and this is the one that sort of made news and sort of shifted the tenor of the debate at the time, I thought, this is a way I can teach people about Jim Crow. I was super, I was thinking, this monument can be turned into a learning opportunity. And I, I sort of didn't realize the stakes yet. And I, I like to be open about that fact. And, but the monument says, and I'll, I'll, I, can I quote it? It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty graphic language. You have it um, committed to memory? It, yeah, I do. Oh, wow. um, the, uh, essentially, what he says mm-hmm. is that the... The monument is not just a monument to the Confederate soldiers. It's to what the Confederate soldiers did in the years after the Civil War. In other words, the overturning of the outcome of the war, the overturning of Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Unless anyone think he meant, you know, electoral victory. He then goes on to say, we made sure that African Americans weren't in power. Oh, and the bottom rail was on top is the language he uses, oh. which is classic language from the time period okay. to say, you know, African Americans had been empowered. We needed to undo this. And he said, unless anyone think this was political, he then says, let me tell you what I did. And then he talks about how he horsewhipped a woman. Oh, wow. And he uses quite graphic language. I oh, won't use it. I don't know if it's radio is friendly. It in the, no, but is uh, it in the book? It's in the book. Okay. It's in the book, the exact okay. language. Um, you, it's, he, I'll give the quote. Uh, okay. He horsewhipped a Negro wench until her skirt hung in, sh- in, tar- uh, in tatters. Uh, because, right. And this is all because this woman had basically given lip to a white woman. Wow. right? And so he wow. was reasserting... A social gave hierarchy. A, gave a look? Yeah, given lip, oh, I think. Given lip. Okay. I, I, mean, okay. I forget exactly okay. the phrase that okay. he uses, but basically yeah. she had besmirched. I think he says he had besmirched a white woman. Right. So she'd, someone had said something bad right. about a white woman right. who was not white. Right. And so he horsewhipped her wow. um, until her skirt was literally in tatters. Wow. I mean, this is a – and, of course, the language is graphic as well. Right. And I think that that's important to recognize is that he, he knew this was a violent act. He knew he was degrading this woman. Mm-hmm. And – and this woman, this story had been forgotten. Okay. Nobody remembered this story. Wow. And the fact that this was what he said the monument was about. Mm. And so I published a little letter to the editor in the Daily Tar Heel thinking, this will let people talk about it. I'm like, because right. the debate before then had largely been, is this monument about slavery or not right. slavery? Right. On campus, at least. The debate on campus, I mean. And there was a group of activists who'd formed at the time, mm-hmm. known as the Real Silent Sam Coalition. Oh. And they, their goal was to t- have a more accurate history. Mm-hmm. And I met with them. They asked to meet with me, and I met with them. They were very, there's some incredibly bright young undergraduates, mm-hmm. community members, and I think a few graduate students. It's since grown. Mm-hmm. I think they no longer have the name Real Silent Sam. They have, uh, they have various other organizational names. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, at the time, I thought, you'll never get rid of this monument. Right. You should aim to put up a historical marker next yeah. to it or an interpretive sign. That was more of my operating premise, right, mm-hmm. is that, this is a chance to teach history. And they saw better than I. Mm. And I had to make a culpa in, oh. in 2017. I, I, I messaged one of them um, who I was still in touch with. And I said, you know, you were right. This monument's going to be removed. I don't know when. Right. But it's gone. And a year later, they pulled it down. Right. Um, and so essentially the activists took this research mm. and they started educating people. Mm. They talked to the press about it. They talked to people on the street. They literally stood in front of the monument. And as people walked by, they said, let me tell you about this monument. Mm. They published op-eds. They brought it up in classes. They did websites. They did all sorts of things wow. to get the word out. And they did an amazing job educating. They did a better job educating the people of Chapel Hill than the history department in many ways. Well, well, and just but to hear that some of what you uncovered, and I don't want I want to ask, how did you uncover that that speech? Um, I mean, just in the archives, wow. I went looking for. I mean, I'm, I'm trained as a historian, right. so I knew I knew who'd given the speech. Right. And I, I'd found one of the dedication speeches already. Right. There's a couple speeches given. I'd found two of them actually already. And I knew that the one that was missing was by this guy, Julian Carr, and I looked in his personal papers. It was actually surprisingly easy, easy to, to find. find. It was 
incredibly easy to find. All you had to do was literally flip to the file wow. that said 1913. Wow. And there it was. Wow. Um, and so I, it was a stumble that I did not intend to make. Right. And it, it drew me into this story in a way that I never expected. And it ultimately led me to, in many ways, it's why I wrote this book, was right. this, this sort of term paper in my first year of graduate school. Uh, but again, I didn't, they took it and they educated people in a way that I didn't recognize would matter. And they did a better job than I could have. I, um, think, I think that's where we are today in, in, in history, though. I, like, um, I, I started use, using Twitter now more because in recent years because of, what is it, you call yourself Twitter historians? Twitter historians. Twitter historians. Yeah, hashtag Twitter historians. Right, hashtag Twitter historians. And, of course, um, I, I cut my teeth in terms of podcasting by interviewing Ethan Keitel and, and Blaine Roberts, yeah. the authors of Denmark VC's Garden, which – I that's my go. It's in my car right now. It's a great book to read. It, I mean, anyone's looking. Right. Anyone in Charleston yeah. who wants to know about the history of Charleston, right. it's the first book you read. In my opinion, it, it is the most important book to read. It's beautifully written, right. and it really gets at memory in a way that I hope I, I aspire to be a companion volume to theirs. You it, know, it, it is it is impressive. But I will say that I'm 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 also impressed by what you are are tackling in in your new in your new book. I think it's important, and it will be. Uh, to me, one and two. Um, to me, I think companion piece. I think this will be. That's just me. I know I'm not. Um, well, I appreciate the yeah. comment. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure Ethan and Blaine both do as well. Um, yes, I. You know. Yeah. Um. I. I would love to bring them back and and just continue this conversation. And also, uh, so back back to Twitter. Yeah. You're you're doing to me. I don't know if the Silent Sam protest sparked a fire in you. Are you more active on Twitter now? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that I. I, I find objectionable is when someone yeah. presents a false history. Like and Nikki Haley. <laughs> yeah, so I wrote a Washington Post article, um, a Washington Post op-ed piece. Yeah. Uh, they approached me um, and asked me to do one. I said, sure, why not? Right. Um, and, and you have to write it very quickly. Yeah. For word for the yeah. wise, the oh, next no. time the Washington Post calls, <laughs> I have to be like, what's my schedule for the next 12 hours? Because they don't give you a lot of time. No, but um, but yeah, I did a um, uh, Nikki Haley when she said sort of the Confederate flag had been appropriated by white supremacists mm-hmm. in 2015. Right. That was basically what she said. And I, I was, I, I took this very, I, I have a problem with this because it's historically inaccurate. I'm pretty sure she knows it's inaccurate. I think it was a, right. an effort to triangulate is how I interpreted it. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I don't know what's in her heart, obviously, but it sure seemed like an effort to triangulate, right? right. To sort of appeal to both people who love the Confederate flag and people who thought it should come down right. Right. and to try to get both to up, see her as electable in right. four years right. um, yeah. when she runs for president. Yeah, I'm glad um, you put that together. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, that's that's my take on it. Yeah. If I'm wrong, you can all tell me I'm wrong in four years. If I'm right, mm. you owe me a beer. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so I find the, when people say, you know, this monument has nothing to do with slavery, mm-hmm. that to me is is just in dishonest. Mm-hmm. And I I don't have a solution for Confederate monuments. I don't want to pretend like I know what we should do. Right. I think each monument has to be dealt with on its own. Um, I think we also have to recognize that communities have a right to decide what's up in their community. Yeah. And I think, to me, I'm, I'm a believer in democracy, um, so long as we can have it, hopefully. Um, hopefully. Hopefully we'll have it for a while. Yeah. Um, but if you take away all recourse to remove a monument, you ensure that people will resort to extra legal means to remove it. Because oh. once a community doesn't support a monument within its in its location, it's going to be removed eventually. But... Ultimately, you know, some perhaps need to be removed. Some need to be contextualized. But, but can, can I don't know. Well, can you do that? Like, well, see, it's not a Confederate monument. The Calhoun statue, how would you characterize that statue? So that's, that's an interesting one. So I actually, the Calhoun monument is part of the same monument building movement. Right. It's really a Jim Crow monument, right? right? All of these monuments are really Jim Crow monuments, right. though, because monuments fundamentally when they, um, when you study monuments, what you're really studying is the time the monument's placed more than you're studying the time it nominally commemorates, right? Because there's a reason these monuments go up after 1890, after African Americans have been disenfranchised and whites have taken control of the politics. Mm -hmm. That's when you have these monuments suddenly go up because there's something to celebrate in the minds of white supremacists. They, They did not, before then, sort of, see it as worthy of celebration. Okay. Okay. We good? 
Okay, sorry. Just like making sure our board is working. You're listening to OM Radio uh, on 96.3 FM. We're broadcasting live from Workshop at 1503 King Street, and I'm here. This is Mika, your your weekly activist radio show host. I'm here on mic'd up with my awesome guest, uh, Dr. Adam Dombey, um, and we're talking about his new book, The False Cause. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wanted. I just want to do a little station identification as. Our, our, as our engineers help make sure that we sound great, um, but yeah, so it, it I, I think I think it's important that you did write that piece uh, in the Washington Post. I think it's also important that you engage people on Twitter um, using that platform to also kind of give context to to things like that. And context yeah. is the key, right? That, right. That's my job. Right. My job as a historian is not to tell you what to do with architecture because I'm not I'm not an architect. My job is to give the community the context, the historical context necessary that they can make an informed decision. And so that's how I see my sort of role um, in this in this larger thing is that I'm not. Um, so I'll sh- I, I, I you know I showed up to that mm-hmm. protest as much to watch it as anything else. And of course it was disturbing yeah, to show up right. to that protest that was down at. I was going to ask how you feel about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was watching a white supremacist show up wearing uh, neo-Nazi symbology, and, and there was a guy there with with right, you know the this vest. Was, yeah, who was it was a wearing a motorcycle vest that had uh, SS bolts. So yeah, so I so you you that's where I learned the insignia mm-hmm. that I started seeing. Um, well, the the secessionist party would mount their protest, you know, weekly at the battery with the mm-hmm. flag and the truck and all that, and um, you know, antagonize anyone who dare to approach them they told me personally that they always try to go to places where liberals would frequent um and um but the when at the protest at uh, marion square is the first time i had anyone point out and it was you via twitter later the ss bolt so it looks like two little light lightning bolts like two little lightning bolts it's Mm -hmm. an ss bolt and the ss for those who don't know is Mm -hmm. a it was a, a german uh, part of the German army during yeah. World War Two, oh, wow. and it's the part of the German army that oversaw the Holocaust. So, right, so these are wow. the, these are the people who rounded up Jews, put them in death camps, and murdered them. And so, and, and the fact that they we were, were the most hardcore troopers for they were the, they were the personal bodyguard. Oh, um, wow. They included the personal bodyguard of Adolf Hitler. They're the they're the shock troops, the the best troops, the most elite troops um, in the Nazi army, right? And they're the most devoted to the Nazi cause. Um, not, and not to be an alarmist, but Adam, is that is that element here? Is it in Charleston? Yeah, it, it's everywhere in the country. Oh, I mean, wow. white supremacists are um, is a as a movement mm-hmm. um, is a is a pretty disparate movement. There's lots of different elements. You have white nationalists, you have mm-hmm. white separatists, you have neo confederates who some of whom are openly identify as white supremacists. Mm-hmm. Some of them are not, do not see themselves as white supremacists. Mm-hmm. They instead um, see themselves as someone who loves history, sometimes sincerely. Sometimes, perhaps insincerely, right. um, and they just they have a false narrative that provides them mm-hmm. a worldview that upholds white supremacy right. accidentally. Right? right? I mean, people huh. often think white supremacy requires hatred, and it doesn't. Let's be clear. Right. But hatred sure helps. Right. Um, and this is one of Ibram Kendi's right. loves to talk about. Right. Right? right. That the hatred comes out of the racist policy, not the other way around. <laughs> um, but yeah. he the the thing about about the white supremacy movement right now is that all of these elements have seen a resurgence in the last, I'd say, 15 years. Mm. Uh, really beginning with the election of Barack Obama, right. um, you see a spirit, and then you really see them feel empowered with the election of Donald Trump. Right. And that's one of the reasons, I mean, one of the reasons I did write this book, mm. as you asked earlier about mm-hmm. sort of my personal stakes in here, is that I do find this the, the neo-Nazi movement objectionable. Um, not mm. just, and that one does offend my personhood. Yeah, um, I, oh, yeah. My, my, my family is of Jewish. De- I'm of Jewish descent, right? Right. My, right. So I, I find that very frightening when I see a neo-Nazi. I won't lie. I mean, right. I do. I, it is a, a symbol that they wear on purpose to intimidate. Oh, wow. right. They want. Right. They want someone, and they know who's going to know what it means. It's going right. to be other white supremacists. Right. And most Jews right. will know the oh, SS okay. bolts. I mean, it's it's one wow. of those things that. I, I would I would guess, and I've never polled a group of Jews, but right. I would guess that most Jews would probably recognize it. Um, so it's it's disturbing. Um, yeah, and so so the Calhoun statue is you you said it's a um it's a Jim Crow more of a Jim Crow it's mon- a Jim Crow era monument, but it's put up because they're celebrating the overturn of African American enfranchisement. Now you'll sometimes right. hear people say when the Calhoun monument went up, everyone agreed this was a good monument, mm-hmm. and that's patently false. Right. Let me be clear here, <laughs> because the only way that's true right. is if you only count white people right and if you know anything about south carolina history you know that in 1900 right. the state was still majority african-american right. and so the majority of the population did not 
right. want this monument going yeah. up. And it was meant as a symbol. And I, it is worth pointing out as well that this is the second Calhoun monument. Right. They took down the first one themselves because it, it was ugly. It was ugly and because black folk were vandalizing it. Constantly. Like, that's um, what I learned in Denmark. Right. And, yeah. And, and exactly. They, they vandalized it repeatedly. <laughs> um, and people shot at it. Yeah. They covered it with different materials um well, and well, who owns it now like because that's the thing you, about taking these things down like you, you mentioned it with silent sam like some some of the complexities it sits in a park marion square that's shaped like a confederate flag right um the citadel the original citadel right there is right there but it's now a hotel which is interesting what, what charleston it, does with this uh, architecture yeah yeah that and um also names like um i learned through listening to nick butler's podcast that vindu meant like slave auction and we have a hotel called the Vindu. anyway uh, but but how things are kind of like creep up on you in charleston yeah. right? oh yeah that's based in white supremacy well uh, yeah you got, the, you got the wade hampton monument that's right next to it as yep. well. and the wade hampton monument when they put that up they actually they didn't they said in their dedication the reason they were putting this up wasn't just because of his service during the civil right. war it was his service overturning reconstruction which was in 1876 right. they don't talk about his governorship they talked about the election wow where they Right. Where he overturned right. and African Americans through a, a, a terrorist campaign and right. a campaign of cheating, which included ballot box stuffing, yeah. where one county had over two thousand extra ballots cast. Right. Wow. Then the people were registered in this. I mean, so it was it was patently right. it was it was it was cheated. It was cheated, right? I mean, yeah. they through hook and crook right. and violence and terrorism, wow. they took back the state, and that's what they were celebrating when they put that monument up. Wow. And it's right next to the right. sort of the Calhoun monument. And um, then the Holocaust monument. I, then, when did that go up? I don't even know. That goes up later. That goes up... Um, like in the 80s? Uh, no, I think it's in the 90s. I'd have to check the exact date. Yeah. Um, but it's... Um, it's It might even be in the early 2000s. I'd have to look um, yeah. when exactly it goes up. But it's that's an interesting monument because it's it's a an anti-racist monument right. that's acceptable. Right. To Charlestonians, while a monument to Den to Denmark VC was unacceptable, right. they put one up in 2014. Right. Uh, it may have been the 80s, but I thought it was the 90s. Again, I'd have to check yeah. on when that monument went up. But yeah. um, but it's just yeah, interesting where monuments are placed in Charleston. And again, I guess I guess I wanted to know who like where is that? Um, who owns that? I, as it's you look, the uh, Washington. Is it the Washington Light Artillery? Um, uh, yeah, I don't even know. That. Uh, I have I, to check the Holocaust okay. Memorial. Though I'm going to look it yeah, up. Yeah, you, you look up that again. This is on radio. You're listening to Mike'd Up on Ohm every Friday at four. I give you an hour of activist radio. Typically, we like to center uh, the experience, the history, the culture of African American or Gullah Geechee descendants uh, like myself. But we also always make way for historians, for uh, local activists, journalists, um, and, and especially. Um, our folks on campuses like CFC, we love to hear um, about, you know, just revolutionary work. I, that's how I characterize it. Anything that's anti-racist. Um, I like to care, not everything, but this is characterized to me as a revolution, a revolutionary piece of work. We're sitting with Adam Dombey, the author of the forthcoming uh, The False Cause, Fraud, Fabrication, and White Supremacy in Confederate Memory. Um, that'll be available when again? Uh, it's already it's it should be already available at yeah. many bookstores yes. and you can order it um, online. Yeah. The official release date is Tuesday okay. though, just Tuesday the 11th of February. It will be okay. is the official release date. So, um, are you doing anything locally um, to promote the book that people? Yeah, can? I will be doing a <laughs> and I'm I'm still finalizing mm -hmm. the schedule, but I'll be doing a um, a book talk at uh, Blue Bicycle. Yeah. Um, at some point, and I'm also doing one on. And I'll make sure to let yeah, you know so please. you can put it on, on yeah. the air when we have the finalized dates. Um, I think they're going to be in March. Um, I think it's going to be March 5th for the Blue Bicycle, but I'm not 100% okay. sure yet. And I need to check on the other one. But we're going to be doing one at, at the College of Charleston okay. as well. Good. Um, yeah. That we'll, I'll be doing a talk and people have a chance to sign. So you were working at College of Charleston. You were there educating while um, a pre the previous president was in place. He, he, yeah. He was a big-time Confederate enthusiast. He, he was an, a Confederate <laughs> enthusiast, um, and that was I uh, was hired while he was president. Yes. Um, I don't know how that played out in the discussions when they were making the decision to hire me. What did that make you think, though, just as, a, as someone who's going to be there on campus? I mean, I think... <laughs> And I was pretty upfront with this when I was interviewing yeah. that, like, I was not going to not talk about right. the problems of the lost cause, regardless of who it was. I'm, right. I'm not the type of person who will censor my, mm -hmm. my scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, my yeah. scholarship is my scholarship, and if you don't like it, 
come at me, bro. You know, that's, I don't know. That was um, the energy you had at the library yeah, that day. I mean, like, yo, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to back down on, on my scholarship. My scholarship is, right. uh, I think, solid. Um, yeah. And so I'm not going to say something that's false. And right. I fundamentally, as someone who studies lies, yeah. I, <laughs> I love that. I, I reject the idea that I would censor myself. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of how these lies got propagated was people accepted lies. Yeah. Because lies are an expression of power, and we see this even today in mm-hmm. our in our current politics. The way that someone openly lying, everyone knows they're openly yeah, lying, right? right? Mm-hmm. Everyone in the audience knows this is a lie. They know this is a lie. They might even contradict themselves in four minutes <laughs> in the same speech. Right. But the fact that they can get away with that lie is an expression of power oh, wow. because they're able to make that lie. And you see similar things with the lost cause where people are making speeches. Um, Julian right. Carr, for instance, a, yeah. a former Confederate veteran mm-hmm. who is – helps put you know gave the speech i mentioned earlier right, the car speech yeah mm. he uh he would speak to black audiences sometimes and he would tell them you know the war we don't need to talk about the causes of the war here's the message of history here's what history is about and that slavery was really good for you guys wow. and he's telling this to a black audience right. at a black college graduation wow. and everyone in the room knows that's not true right you, but they he, can't object because he's giving money right oh so so that's you know you tweeted that you just reminded me because when Trump came to Benedict a, a few months ago and it it was it was it was uh it made news for obvious reasons but because Benedict is in a financial position like many other HBCUs where you know they need federal funding um you tweeted and I know you were so busy doing your daytime you know whatever you're doing probably finishing this or whatever um but uh, you mentioned there's a long history of, of uh, white supremacist leaders or politicians going to historically black colleges. There is. There is okay. a large history. That, so yeah. one of the things that we see is that during the early 20th century <laughs> mm-hmm. that there's basically very little state funds mm-hmm. for black education. They're cut right. because African-Americans have been pushed out of the politics because they've been disenfranchised. Right. Because of that, they're dependent upon private donations. And so what you have happened is you have industrialists giving money. Mm-hmm. And so Julian Carr, for instance— gives money to some black schools and in exchange for that he has control in part he's able to influence curriculum he's able to say here i'll give you money but it's not for the liberal arts it's for the industrial arts or it's for um agriculture right? you're going to teach them to be farmers that's what we want because it's a matter of control mm-hmm. he can control the education and he's going to be invited because he's giving this money that otherwise might be funded by the state except that they've cut all the funds for right. black schools right. so the very policies he supports <laughs> are the reason that they're dependent upon him for his philanthropy. So philanthropy becomes a tool of power. And and I would argue that's always true, right? In a capitalist system, philanthropy is a way of influence, right? Wow. And so you have power if you have money. And so he's able to sort of get high, be allowed to give a graduation speech mm-hmm. at this African-American college. And, and in it, he makes the speech where everyone in the room must have known mm-hmm. what he was saying was a lie. These right. are college-educated people. Literally, right. they're graduating from college. Right, right. And, <laughs> and, he, and he says, this is how you have to remember history. And if you don't, you might get in trouble. Right. And he, so he's welding it bo- wielding history both as a threat, but he's also telling a lie. And everyone in the room knows it's a lie. And by doing that, he lets everyone know who has power. Right. I have the power to stand up here and lie. And none of you dare say otherwise because wow. I'll cut the funds. Right. And, and so this is where philanthropy and, and people who are defenders of, of Carr will like to point to his philanthropy and they'll say, oh, look, he gave all this money. It's like, sure, he gave all that money, but they needed that money because of the policies he supported. Mm-hmm. And he was doing it for power reasons. This is not right. just right. out of the goodness of his heart. So that, so so um, it was like amazing. I didn't even know that. So it was amazing to see you tweet that when Trump being at Benedict and Benedict having to, like, I guess, sequester their students to the rooms for fear of protest or whatever. And In fairness, I never would have even thought to look there if it weren't for Elizabeth Lundeen, who was one of my classmates in grad oh, wow. school. And, and she, she writes on, she, and she, wrote, she was researching the topic, and so she's the one that sort of let me know that. I mean, we like to, I always like to try to footnote, right? And, I was about uh, to say, I love how historians, uh, they cite these sources. I mean, I like to cite my sources, but Elizabeth <laughs> Lundeen was the one who first pointed this out to me, that this sort of, uh, the power dynamic of, of, of money uh, being tied to uh, white supremacy. Um, so, speaking of like, you mentioned the name of someone you you hold in high regard. Are what what who else should, should folks be reading, should be retweeting, should be you know who should they engage? I with? mean, well, there's the classic list online of mm-hmm. Kevin Cruz has a list of yes. historians of like oh. 500 historians that you can go through and follow. Right. Um, well, who's Kevin Cruz? Just Kevin Cruz is a Princeton professor who's one of the who probably has more followers than any other, other Twitter historian oh. out there. Sort of, he's sort of Twitter historian royalty, and uh, <laughs> and so he has a list that he's built of 
politically active historians who are commentating on current things. Um, Heather Cox Richardson is doing a a daily, almost um, or nearly daily newsletter right, right now, which she does both on Facebook. She also does an emailed version that you can sign up for online in which she, as a historian of, of American politics, takes apart that day's news mm -hmm. and puts it in historical context. And she does a beautiful job of it. Uh, and and Heather was uh, Heather Cox Richardson again I'm is her name. At, I'm looking at she up. was um, she was here in Charleston a few years ago to give a talk, and she has a new book coming out that I'm really excited for. Okay. And uh, I think it comes out in April called uh, How the uh, I want to make sure I get the title right. Oh, I think it's I'm trying to find um, it. Yeah. Um, How the South Won the Civil War. Oh, cool. um, okay. And so it's a pretty provocative title, and it's looking at sort of the overturn, is, is my guess from looking at the title, is that she's going to be talking about the overturn of the ramifications of the Civil War, like yeah, equal did, rights did and things you, like that. Uh, so you, I'm sure you don't follow me on Instagram like that because, you, again, you're a very— I don't uh, have a ton of Instagram but, followers. No, uh, me nobody, nobody follows me on Instagram. My dog yeah. has more followers than yeah. me. Yeah, you'll, um, you'll get there, I'm sure. Uh, no, but um, I was—so yesterday I just got back off the roof. I came back from Hilton Head. I'm down there working for Black Voters Matter. Um, and thank I'm, you for that work, by the way. Oh, right. thank it's really you. Oh, that people get able to vote. I mean, this is sort yeah. of this is one of those things where I, I think we don't recognize enough that the ballot is everything right now. Yeah. It's, it doesn't matter as much who you elect as much as that people are able to elect. Right. And until we yep. we have the ballot be fully available to everyone. Um, we don't have a democracy. And it's the work of Ari Bierman and people who really yeah. research the history of disenfranchisement. Ari Berman would be one yeah, of the people yeah, that I would point yeah, to, Stephen and I, I, I cite him in, in the oh, yeah. in the book as well. Yeah. It, it's an amazing work where about sort of how this was overturned. So, right? so I'm driving down to, to Buford, and then I'm trying to get to Hilton Head. I think I'm on 278, and I literally stopped my car because I see a billboard that looks like it's just been erected. It says, uh, General Sherman and his Yankee Army, yeah. terrorists, um, arsonists and thieves. Yeah. And I posted it on Instagram stories. I got so much response like, where are you? What is that? Are you safe? Like, what's it's, so it's so a, when you were talking about how this book It's a crazy sign, yeah. yeah. And I'm 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 really unclear on which You Sherman. know about it? Oh, I know about the sign, yeah. What? Um and I'm unclear on which Sherman they mean cuz really? do they mean William Tecumseh Sherman who never entered that area or do they mean a more like lesser known General Sherman right. who was actually involved in the landing of Union troops there? I think it's I think it's actually historically accurate, sort of, in the sense of, like, the name is right, but it's not William Tecumseh Sherman right. that landed in that area. Right. Uh, right. So it's unclear to me which Sherman they mean, but um, there is a Sherman, though, that, that is, is, is relevant during the Civil War there. But this is sort of another myth, right, is yeah. that Sherman, William Tecumseh Sherman, I think probably most people interpret it as. Yeah. Um, and William Tecumseh Sherman doesn't really um, come through that area um, very much. He, he sort of goes north of it. But oh, wow. um, that's interesting. I'm so happy that you like. I uh, it wasn't. It had to be serendipity, uh, like for me to encounter that sign yeah. and have you. I've today. seen other people who've posted it. I've seen oh. other people. It's one of those signs that. Okay. Um, it's down. It's um. <laughs> it's like but, um, it's like it's like a fork. Uh, I think my I think my friend Chris Barr. Yeah. Um, posted it, and he's he's another good person. Um, to, to probably to follow on Twitter. Um, he'll get mad at me for telling people to follow him, probably. No, but uh, he's good. the uh, he's an interpretive ranger down at at Reconstruction Era National Monument, oh. and he does some great work. Where's that? Um, with public Reconstruction Era National Monument in Beaufort is oh, yeah, yeah. It, oh. is um is a great historic site that we is, is brand new, 2017. That's it was right. That's right. It was named. It's now Reconstruction Era um, National Historic Park. They just changed their name okay. um, recently, okay. and they uh, they're doing great work down there. Yeah. And it's a great site to visit, and it's they were in a Henry Louis Gates um, special on Reconstruction. Right. And that's this right. Is, this, yeah. is, this is sort of yeah. this is sort of a period of history that's largely ignored until 2017. We really didn't have a historic site yep. that talked about it at all. Um, we that's had, crazy. We right? sort of had Andrew Johnson, but that doesn't really talk no. about it quite right. And no. so this is a place where we can talk about the efforts and struggles of African Americans, which is such an important part of American history, to both educate and enfranchise and gain political power yeah. and gain uh, economic independence. Yeah. In the years after the Civil War, and and they're doing amazing work, and it's a lot of community building is involved in this work, right. and so they deserve a shout out for the the hard work they're doing. Yeah, um, and yeah, they, so uh, I want to ask you this real quick. I know you're about to say something, but but like, why the, again? Heather's book, uh, the title makes me think about why did like a place like Charleston talk more about the Civil War than the actual like Revolutionary War? Well, I mean, that's a good question. Like, why are we talking about, <laughs> why does Charleston's obsession with the Civil War, right? right? And in some that ways, they it's, lost. <laughs> it's not just the Civil War we're right. obsessed with. It's sort of the antebellum era. Oh. Um, we really love, and this is where mm. uh, Ethan and, and yeah. Blaine's book, yeah. uh, Ethan Keitel and Blaine, and Blaine Roberts, Roberts. of uh, who wrote uh, Denmark Vissi's Garden, mm -hmm. another great 
great read. Mm -hmm. um, I just before I forget, I want to throw out a couple other books yeah, yeah. Um, that are worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, Apostles of Disunion, another UVA book, really great book. Okay. Um, that's all about sort of if you're wondering about the causes of the Civil War, he tears it apart for you. Okay. Um, okay. And he also it's a guy named Charles Dew. He also wrote a book, The Making of a Racist, which talks about how he was raised. Right to be a racist basically wow. and how history played a role in that it's a it's a very good both of them i think are from uva press if i'm not mistaken yeah um so okay. I'm, par I'm partial to uva press of course because uh, they they're publish your book. exactly um, <laughs> but there's a lot of other good books um and yeah. uh, and i'm gonna there's yeah. a, a book uh, there's a, a some great work on the ku klux klan yeah. for those interested in that okay. but but anyways mm -hmm. going back to this issue of why we're obsessed with with the Annie area, it's it has to do a lot with the lost cause, in my opinion, is okay. that what we have going on is that we remember slavery as a benevolent institution, mm. even though it was not. Let me be right. very clear here right, right now, because I think this is really important right. to stress. Slavery was an institution premised on terror, right. violence, mm -hmm. and murder. Right. I mean, that is what is we're talking it? about when yeah. we talk about slavery. The even the nicest, mm -hmm. not the nice, the nicest. We have to mm -hmm. be clear here. The least terrible right. enslaver who told their enslaved people that mm. so long as they worked, I won't sell you and I won't beat you. They're still using the threat of right. separation from their family mm -hmm. and of violence to extract labor. And right. we got to never forget that, right. that, that chattel slavery is a terrible institution that uses violence and is based on violence. Right. So would you recommend Edward Baptiste's book? Ed Baptist book. Is I mean, a, yeah, Baptist. Sorry. Ed Baptist book. Mm -hmm. um, the the half that's never been told. Yeah. is an amazing narrative. Um, you know, uh. historians disagree with some parts of it. Oh, I know there there yeah. is some controversy, as, as there is with any any book. Yeah. It is a great. It's right. massive. Right, I mean, it's it is. Huge. It's dense. Um, yeah. There's a new biography by David Blight about Frederick oh. Douglass. For okay. those of you interested in Frederick Douglass, that okay. um, is also like 800 pages, <laughs> but um, great. Um, Ibram Kendi's book okay. is another. I you, mean, you, both you of his. You referenced it three yeah, times. Yeah, I mean, it's I think yeah. uh, stamped from the beginning, yeah. a history of white supremacy. Okay. Um, there's a, a book by a woman named Bellows, um, and I need to yeah. double check the title, but I think it's um, Go for it. Bring the War Home, wow. um, which is. And I want to get the title right. Kathleen Bellow, Bring the War Home, mm -hmm. which looks at the more modern white supremacist movement. So right. if someone wants to understand, like, who who these people are right. that are espousing racist views right. and why they're espousing them and what the harm of those views are, these are sort of some of the readings you can do. So this is very different in some ways okay. from um, what other people study, right? right? You also have people like Hillary Green, who mm. has educational reconstruction, mm. who talks about how African Americans resist right. this. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think both are important to read, right? We right. have to understand the oppressor, right. but we also have to understand the resistance that comes out. And I think um, that's one of those things where we need lots of scholars mm -hmm. and why we need lots of scholars. So uh, Hillary Green, though, is, is one of my all-time favorite scholars to read. Uh, Heather Williams mm -hmm. also has a, uh, some lovely work on... Um, education during Reconstruction as well. I think that that's very really important, that piece. Um, I think that, because I, I don't even know nearly enough about that part, but I know yeah. like how the games were made for, like the creation of public schools through, right. during um, Reconstruction. I wanted to ask you this before um, we, because I want to make way for the next show, but we got some time, but um, they're not, I don't know where they are yet, but I wanted to ask you two things, and I do want us to go back and, and make sure we tell people where to find the book and all yeah. the other stuff. Your view, your take on plantations, because Edward Baptist's yeah. book talks about them being labor camps. They and, are, yeah. and that's how I refer to them now. What is your take? Because there's a whole new thing going on right now where plantations and, you know, Boone Hall and those are very proud that they're plantations. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I it, it is a very different experience. You get at, say, mm -hmm. Boone Hall yeah. than you get at, say... Um, McLeod. McLeod. I mean, and I, and I got to give a shout out to McLeod. Yeah. Um, and I've got some students who work there from some of my former students work there. They do an amazing job at McLeod. Um, I'm really proud of them. Mm -hmm. um, the students that I have, my former students that are there. Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of the interpretive work they're doing. McLeod does the best job in town, in my opinion. That's they're just there. There's nobody doing it as well because they're dealing with the story. And they used to not. They used to not even warn you they were going to do this. They would just right. do it. Oh, They'd wow. say, "All right, here's where the tour meets. You're going on the tour, and you'd go the whole tour, and you're thinking." <laughs> We're going to go in the big house next. Right. We're going to go in the big yeah, house next. Uh -uh. And the whole tour. And then at the end of the tour, you've learned all this about slavery. They talk about slavery. They talk about Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. They talk about Jim Crow. And then they're like, uh, yeah, and if you want to see the big house, you can just go in. Yeah, and just walk. Uh, and, and, and now I think they warn you. that the, the, the yeah. it, But they used to just say, oh, here's where the tour is. And it was sort of like it was the greatest <laughs> surprise because yeah. it was like, oh. People came for Gone with the Wind, and but they got, yeah, they got something else. <laughs> they got and something I, else. And it's important because when we think about 
plantations. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of the people living and working mm -hmm. on low country plantations, especially, yeah. are not white. No. Right? They are enslaved. Right. And so their stories are really the story of the plantation in mm -hmm. my mind. They're the ones that change the landscape. Right. When you're out there on in these beautiful grounds and they have all these beautiful landscaping, that's done by by labor, right? right? And that labor was enslaved mm -hmm. and so they're the story to me that I think is most important. So I, we're seeing improvement in a lot of places. Yeah. Places like Drayton Hall have made efforts to okay. really improve the That's way that they thing. talk about slavery. They have a new exhibit um, hall that includes a, a brand that was used on people. Oh, wow. Um, and wow. So, so they're, not, they're not running from it like right. they used to, right. um, like places used. But there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, I've been to some local plantations where people are still wearing uh, hoop skirts. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's kind of like, wait, wait a minute. Why are you wearing a hoop skirt? <laughs> and they're talking about how tea was served at three. Yeah, cosplay, right. I call and, it. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and when you say tea, is serve, tea was served at three, you know, you're using the passive voice to ignore who served the tea. Right. And that, so we got a long way to go right. on how plantations, is there a place for them? Yeah. I mean, they're, they, they right. present an amazing educational opportunity yeah. when they do it like McLeod. Um, are they still whitewashing things? A lot of them are. Yeah. And I think that's a real problem. And it's something that, you know, I, I struggle with. And mm -hmm. I, I, I like to see more improvement. And yeah. I've, I've tried to reach out to as many of them as I can. And, you know, of course, if any of them are listening, you know, the, yeah. the College of Charleston has numerous professors who are happy to help you yeah. um, re rethink how you interpret it. Yeah, and I think that'd be a great, um, a great exercise, be, given what the College of Charleston contended with, with some of their students going on some of these plantations and doing their own little thing there. But uh, we won't get into that. But, but thank you so much. This has been like the best. Like I, I hate ranking my interviews because I make people feel bad. But this is so. You oh, just just say I'm better than Ethan is yeah. all I ask. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I want to tell him. I don't want to tell. Ethan, I want to rag on Ethan later <laughs> when I message him. Uh, Ethan, Ethan and Kyle, I was so like I was so nervous and too excited. Like I ruined it. I think I gave you some space to be you but I, when I tell you I'm a, like a big fan I'm a huge fan well, and I'm a fan of you as well oh, so uh, you know I hope so I know I, I can get at a lot of people and be like but that's just I'm an irritant and I embrace that we but, need all sorts I mean yeah. this is what I'm saying is that like we all have our role <laughs> in trying to make the world a better place and, yeah. and we need my job isn't to, to critique how someone else does it okay. my job is to do what I can to help and, and I think and keep me honest too yeah and I, I mean yeah. my, my goal is to keep you honest about your history and yeah. and your, your goal is to keep me honest about you know <laughs> Who gets to vote? And yeah. and, 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 and a lot of other stuff here in Charleston. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of work to be done in this yeah. city. I mean, this city is a city that likes to think we're doing really great no matter what we're doing. Well, and uh, I, and, I, and I, well, I, this is the 350th anniversary. It's doing a lot of celebratory things. I hope that you'll be included in that. I know you have a book tour going on, but I hope that you are included in the retelling of our, our 350-year history. Um, where can folks buy, or again, just to remind folks, where can they find your book? Um, the false cause, the fra uh, fraud, fabrication, white supremacy, you can find on any of your lo favorite local <laughs> booksellers. Um, I know that it's it's in stock at the campus bookstore already. Yeah. Um, okay. Down good. on uh, on Calhoun Street. Um, interestingly named, yeah, right, of course. Right. Uh, but uh, and they can order it online from any of the you know Amazon, Barnes and Noble. They all carry it, and it'll be there in a few days. Okay. Um, if you order it, and when will it be available, like audiobook? Um, I don't know about yeah, the audiobook. Okay. We're still working on hopefully getting an audiobook. Are you going to uh, read it or someone else? I, it would probably not be me. <laughs> We're still talking to the audiobook companies to see if somebody wants to do an audiobook. So hopefully Aww. hopefully somebody does want to wants to pick up those like, rights and uh, yeah. do the do the reading of it. Let so. me know if we need to activate some folk because I want this. I want this accessible. Like yeah. this is dope. I, I really. I'm. I'm still getting through it, but but what I've read already and what you've referenced um, has been just. It's just well done. So thank you so much, Adam. Well, thank you for having me, um, and I've really enjoyed getting to meet you in person. And uh, gotta come back and and keep up the good work on your end oh. of uh, making sure that you know people have access to the ballot because there's nothing more important, um, especially this year. In making sure that votes are cast and votes are read. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and I really appreciate it. All right, we're gonna sign off. Okay. Until next time, everyone. I always say stay black, but I'm gonna tell. I guess um, I'm gonna also say stay historically accurate. All right. <laughs>